If you have your Bibles, we're going to turn for a few moments to Second Peter, first chapter, Second Peter. Now, as we enter this calendar year, I want to encourage us that we continue praying for the lost. We have these boards up here, and I, I don't want these boards to to just be boards on a stage. I, I don't want them to even be a slogan for our church. But instead, I'd want this to be just who we are. That we're people who are sharing the gospel and, and we're living the gospel and we're loving the gospel. We're people who are crying out to God for those who are lost. And if that's who we are for our mission statement says that we are loving the gospel, living the gospel, sharing the gospel. Uh, and when we see any time our logo, we have that around. And if that's who we are, and I believe that's who we are. I believe there's people here who love the gospel. I believe people here who are doing their best to live the gospel. And I believe we're people who are sharing the gospel. But if that's who we are, this ought to be who we are. The where we're seeking God for those who are lost, diligently seeking God for that one, whether it be him or her, that we're seeking God for them. Um, when we look in, in this passage, I, I've come to understand before we could ever love, live, or share the gospel, we must be sure ourselves of the truth of the gospel. And in this passage, Peter helps us to see that the truth of the gospel has been revealed to us. Verses 16 through 21 in chapter 1 of 2 Peter, the Bible says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables, when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory, which such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on that holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you for being able to celebrate on this first Sunday of the new year. God, in such a way to where we have joy in our hearts. And it's all because of you. God, we look to you right now and ask that you'd move upon each one of us throughout this remainder of this service. And if there's one who doesn't know you for forgiveness of sin, that God today did cry out to you. That they would start a new year with you. And God, we'll praise you for all that's accomplished. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. Now as we look in this passage, this is actually part three of Jesus. He's worthy of our devotion. Some of you may be wondering, well, I didn't get 
part one or two, but you did. <laughs> Back in September of this past year, we began looking at the Apostle Peter's second letter. And I shared in this letter that it's imperative that we really take notice of the difference in this letter and Peter's first letter. His first letter focuses on the persecution of Christians. The persecution that they would face outside of the church. However, this letter, when we think of what Peter helps us to focus on is the trouble that, that can stir up within the church. And the trouble that Peter is really wanting us to focus on is that of false teachings. When we look throughout this letter, he's focusing on false teachers. He's wanting us to be devoted to, to Christ because he's worthy of our devotion. And when we're devoted to him, we'll be able to, to really acknowledge and, and notice those who are teaching us falsely. When we look here in verses... 16 through 21, Peter informs us that the truth of the gospel has already been revealed. Uh, it's already been revealed. So if it's been revealed, it's up to us to really grasp that truth. Now we're told here in these verses in verse 16, actually, we're told that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not fiction. That's the first thing we see in this passage, is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not fi fiction. For he declares that, that as well, he as well as other uh, apostles, they did not follow cunningly devised fables. What this means is that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of salvation is not fiction. It's not a figment of our imagination. The gospel of Jesus Christ was not something that was thought up in order to help provide hope to the hopeless or, or peace to the troubled or joy to the faint of heart. It was not something that was brought up to, to encourage the, the unloved that they would be loved. It's, it wasn't something that was thought to ease our conscience. The gospel message of salvation is not something thought up by someone else to help meet our needs. Let me stop right here and share what man has come up with. They've come up with religion. Man has come up with laws. Man has come up with good behavior and, and efforts to provide peace, hope, and security. And many believe our needs are met through even science and technology. Some say our needs are met through education and social status. While all these things can help us in this life, that is all they can do. Help us in this life. We often fail to understand that no amount of education or, nor the right job can provide real peace, can provide real Real hope or provide real security. No religion and no amount of laws can give us real peace, real hope, or real security. We've had, we have laws. We have all the laws that we want and more and in this world, but, but how secure are we? Many of us own our own weapons. Many of us own our, many of us have our own concealed carry permits. Many, there may be many of you with a concealed weapon in your pocket right now. If you do, keep it to yourself. Don't bring it to me. 
Don't show it right now. Many of us have alarms on our homes. You know what? We have an alarm on this church. As a matter of fact, RCC is putting together a curriculum to help churches become better understanding on how to protect the house of worship with all the laws that we have and we still have all of this going on. Listen, I'm, so, I'm glad that they've got these classes going. I'm glad that, that they're allowing us to have our, have our own weapons and have our own carry concealed permits. But what I'm learning more and more is everything that we are creating, everything that man puts their hands to is only temporary. What has man created that will last? People say they can find hope in religion. Well, we can poke holes in religion. It will let us down. I want to tell you this, religion will let you down. And I'm so glad we don't have a religion, but we have a faith. My faith in Jesus Christ is that Jesus Christ himself will never let me down. But religion will always let man down. Religion is man-made, but faith in Jesus is God-ordained. We find that education doesn't always solve our problems. Look at how intelligent people are in this world and our world is still in a mess. What about technology? Can we find that technology lasts? I want to assure you, your vehicles will break down. Your homes will fall apart. Your, everything that you have, your appliances will stop working over time. Your computers and software will be outdated in just two years. Nothing man creates is created to last. But listen, folks, I got good news. Here's, here's some truth. What we're seeking is something that will last. We're seeking eternity. We're seeking life. We're seeking the fullness of life. We're seeking life beyond this world. We're seeking eternal life. And folks, it was God who breathed life into us and we became a living soul. And as long as we are in this life, we're going to be seeking for the fullness of life that only he can offer. And that fullness can only be found in a relationship with God. Now, if it's found in a relationship with God, we must understand that God first wanted a relationship with us. That's why he created us. Genesis 3, and not, uh, 3, 8 through 9, it teaches us that Adam and Eve heard God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And when they heard God walking, they hid from him. But God, was, but God called out to Adam. What that lets us know is God wanted to commune with Adam. He wanted to talk with Adam. He wanted a relationship with Adam. And he wants that with you and I. God desires a relationship with us, but because of our sinfulness, we've broken relationship with him. We on our own have no way of repairing our broken relationship with God. But God in his infinite love, in his grace and his mercy, all along he had a plan for salvation for us so that we could be rescued and we can be restored back to him. His plan of salvation was that his son, Jesus Christ, would come to this earth, born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit of God, to live and to die for our sin and to be raised from the dead to give us hope that life doesn't end with the grave. Well, but instead, we get to rise also. I don't know about you, but that just sets me on fire from time to time when I just think of the fact that I can't die. 
I'm going to live forever. I've, it's all, I've already experienced an eternal life because I'm going to pass from this life into eternal life. You, this body may be put in the ground, but the spirit and the soul is going to go on to be with the Lord. And those of us who believe upon Jesus Christ and receive him as our Lord and Savior, we will be restored. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not a fable. It's not a cunning device of man's imagination that deceives people. It's the truth that God loves us and he's provided a way for us to have peace and hope and joy and love in this life and in the life to come. Yes, Peter wants us to understand that what we're teaching it's not of devised fables. It's not something we just thought up with our own imaginations, but it's true. So how do we know all of this is true? Well, Peter helps us with that too. Because he tells us that we're here, we're told that witnesses declared the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter speaks of being part of those who were eyewitnesses to Jesus' majesty. Now, if you look there in, in verse 16, he says there at the end, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. In, in the first part of, of verse 16, Peter says, for we did, him and others. Those others are the apostles. Those others, basically speaking for this passage of scripture is James and John, because he says we here twice. He says we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter's saying, I'm an eyewitness to this, so you can trust what I'm saying. The word majesty here, it means the majesty of God, the divine nature of God. So he's saying he's an eyewitness of the majesty of God being upon Jesus Christ. When Peter is saying that he and others, they witnessed the glory of God placed upon him even while Jesus was on earth. Verses 17 and 18 speaks of an event where the glory of God was allowed to shine through Jesus. On this occasion, the light of God's glory was so clearly seen that it was proof beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus was the very Son of God. And be, being the very Son of God, he is the Savior of the world. And the event I'm speaking about is known as the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus himself was transfigured or even transformed before their very eyes. And Peter is saying he was an eyewitness of this. As a matter of fact, Matthew's gospel, it says that Jesus was transfigured. In Matthew 17, 1 and 2, it says, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a mount, high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Mark's gospel records this event and it, it speaks of Jesus as being transfigured also. In Mark's gospel 9, 2 through 3, he says, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow, such as no launder on earth can whiten them. But Luke's gospel... <laughs> Luke's gospel says something a little different. Luke's gospel says that Jesus' face was altered. 
In Luke 9, 28 through 29, the Bible says, Now it came to pass about eight days after these says that he took Peter, James, and John, or Peter, John, and James, and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. When he says here that Peter's face was altered, it wasn't just that he looked different. It wasn't just that a light shone around him. Instead, it was a change took place. They saw Jesus differently than what they had seen him before. He didn't look the same as he did before. The glory of God, of his godly nature was allowed to shine through his body. I'm talking about the same glory that Jesus had when he, along with his father, spoke this world into existence. When he created man out of the dust of the ground, when he created this world the way he would have it when he destroyed the world when he replenished the world everything that was done before Jesus incarnation the glory that was upon them those boys got to see they were eyewitnesses to the glory of God shining through Jesus Christ but they were not only witnesses of God God's glory shining through but God declaring who in fact Jesus was while looking upon Jesus the disciples saw Moses and Elijah standing with him and it was such a powerful scene that Peter stated that it was good for them to be there well, I hope coming today, I hope coming this morning and seeing six people stand before you on the first Sunday of 2020 wanting to join you, you are able to leave here saying it was good <laughs> that I was there. And I want to tell you when you meet up with someone who weren't here today, tell them they missed how good it was that they, to be here today. Peter said it was good that we were here. And then he requested to make, to build three tabernacles, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for Jesus. But just as they heard, just as John the Baptist heard the voice of God from heaven, they heard the voice of God also saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. Matthew's gospel shares what Peter shares here. He says that God went on to say not only that this is my beloved son, but he says, in whom? I am well pleased. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to hearing him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of the Lord. And I want to tell you how we can hear that. We got to do well. Not in our own self, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. We must know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Let me remind us. Here, they witnessed this event they had the privilege of experiencing the very presence of God and I want to remind us that this event only lasted a little while and even now God gives us the privilege to experience a glimpse of his glory we may not hear his voice audibly we may not see a change in the same fashion as they see it but we do get to witness the power of the Holy Spirit I've told you this before I think I may have told you once or twice but I want you to I, I'm not telling you this because it's something that I dreamed up it was something I saw in my first year here and we were turned around 
and being turned around. It started on my left side, which would have been on this side facing that way. There was just something took place that day. It was a powerful Sunday, but it was a, a moment where God showed me that he is still in control, that I had no gift, I had no skill that I could use on my own, but I had better depend upon him because that Sunday, unlike many Sundays, we had different people standing up before the preaching to, to give their testimony and, and I just saw a haze come by and I saw it hover over one and he stood up and gave his testimony. I saw that haze move and as he moved it hovered over another and she stood up and she gave her testimony and when it ended it had stopped over over there and brother, and brother Walter Eddings and, and brother Walter was stood up and he began to give his testimony. I never saw that haze again but I want you to know what it was. It was the glory of God showing that he was in this place. People look at me when I've told that story like I'm foolish, like I've been imagining things, but I want you to know, I know what I know. I know I've been born again. I know I've been called by God, and I know I got to witness his glory. Folks, we get to witness the glory of God from time to time. How about just today, hearing the testimony of one who was lost and on his way to a demon's hell, now is found and on his way to heaven. Boy, that's the glory of God. Yeah. And it ought to excite us every time one comes to know Jesus as their Savior. We get to witness God do something that only God can do. I told somebody when Brother Justin got saved, it was the easiest, it was the easiest I'd ever had it in leading someone to the Lord. I've had those who come in, come into my office and, and they were already saved and just didn't know it. But that day, all I had to do was just ask him, was he ready to give his life to the Lord? And he said, I don't, I, I haven't read the Bible, preacher. That's fine. Most people haven't read the Bible. Well, I don't go to church. Well, most sinners don't go to church. He said, but I'm ready to be saved. I didn't have to prod. I didn't have to plead. I just ass and he was already ready. God had already been at work and because God was at work he done everything that needed to be done. It wasn't nothing I did. I just happened to be a vessel who come by and asked the right question because I was led by God. Yes, one day one day we get while we get glimpses here on earth one day we're going to stand in his presence and we'll see him in all his glory. And if we know him as Lord and Savior, he'll glorify us and we'll be changed for all eternity. Oh, what a privilege to witness the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm an eyewitness of what he's done for me. I'm an eyewitness of what he did in my wife's life, what he's done in my daughter's life. I'm an eyewitness of what he's doing right now in many of your lives. And you're eyewitnesses too. So when people ask you, how do you know? Oh, you got to say, do you know my preacher? As foolish as that man was, and God saved him. It's only the glory of God. Listen, last I want us to see here also, there wasn't just witnesses that testified to the glory of God, eyewitnesses, but the Bible tells us that scripture witnesses to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So not only does, were the eyewitnesses of the truth of the gospel, but the scriptures witness to the truth of the gospel. The scriptures account or prophecy is more proven than the eyewitness accounts. 
What do you mean, preacher? Well, you know, there are many prophecies throughout the scriptures about the coming Messiah, the Savior of the world. And when we study them, these scriptures, we clearly see that Jesus Christ is this promised Messiah. It baffles my mind how people can dream up stuff, how they can not read and not see Jesus, but they see Muhammad or they see Buddha or they see Allah, whoever it is. But folks, when we read this book, all we see is Jesus. This wasn't a man-written book. This is a book written by God. Now, their books is written by man, but ours was written by God. Men had a part to play, but God is the author of this book. If the transfiguration, here's what I mean by saying that, that the scriptures are more reliable than the eyewitness account, is that if the transfiguration of Jesus Christ had never taken place, the scriptures still prove that Jesus Christ is the savior of the world. <laughs> the scripture, if, if that never took place, you'll read through the scriptures and you'll still find Jesus is the son of God. Without the testimony of scriptures, their eyewitness account of the transfiguration would be unbelievable. And we wouldn't accept it. But because we have the witness of the scriptures, it makes it more believable and more glorious than it would without them. Listen, folks, it wouldn't hold <laughs> the transfiguration. Transfiguration would not hold the weight that it would need to convince people that Jesus is God without the scriptures. The holy scriptures that reveal Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior of the world, God's only begotten Son. It's because they te the testimony of scriptures that we believe. It's because of the testimony of scriptures that we actually believe the account of this transfiguration. Because of the scriptures are true, they are to be heeded. He tells us in here that we are to heed the scriptures. That we would do well to heed the scriptures. In other words, we would do well to obey the scriptures. We'd do well to listen to the scriptures. We'd do well to follow the scriptures. It's when we heed the word of God that God reveals his truth to us. And his truth becomes like a light shining in the darkness. It's a light that gives us direction. A light that guides and instructs us to God's desire for our lives in this dark world that we're living in. Folks, we must also understand, lastly, that, this, that it's telling us here is that these scriptures are not of private interpretation. In other words... In other words, if you are born again, you can know the interpretation of this scripture. We can't interpret scripture the way we please. And I'm afraid that many people are doing that. They're trying to fit it into their life instead of making their life fit the scriptures. If I take the scriptures and make it fit my life, then I'm going to have it saying what it doesn't say. But if I put my life in the scriptures and let my life be what the scriptures are saying, then I'm going to be much better off. Right. 
scriptures can only be interpreted by scripture and by the Holy Spirit of God. That's the only way scripture can be interpreted. By scripture, because scripture testifies of scripture. And the Holy Spirit testifies to the truth of the scripture. Prophecy itself came only when God moved upon a prophet. And they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So here's what I'm saying. When the prophets prophesied, they did not interpret what God spoke and then declared it. I'm speaking about the prophets now. These, this letter wasn't put together in the Bible the way we have it. But what he's speaking about is the prophets. When the prophets prophesied, they didn't think about what God had said and then shared it in their own words. Mm-mm, that's not what they did. Instead, they spoke the exact words that God spoke to them. That's why when they prophesied that you would hear them say, thus says the Lord, or thus says the Lord of hosts. They didn't add their own words. They just spoke the word of God. Listen, if you want to know what you need to tell somebody, get it to the word of God. Let it, let it sink down in your heart and in your minds. And, and when you want to, when someone's wanting to know how can I be saved, just share with them the word of God that you must believe and confess. You don't have to make up your own words. Just use God's words. They're the most powerful words in the English language. As a matter of fact, (laughs) that's why scripture can be trusted because they are the word of God. Isaiah 40 and 8 tells us the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Matthew 5 and 18 tells us, for surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. And it was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Revelation 22, 18 and 19 says, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Folks, the truth of the gospel has been revealed aren't you glad it's been revealed because you wouldn't have gotten saved if it hadn't been revealed they were eyewitnesses to the truth and the scriptures testified to this truth the gospel of jesus christ is the good news of salvation the gospel is the power of god to salvation for everyone who believes what that means is if you're willing to believe god will save you it doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, where you come from, what your background is. It doesn't matter how many years you've spent in prison. It doesn't matter how much time you've spent alone. It doesn't matter what has taken place in this world in your life. If you'll believe and confess, the gospel is the power to salvation. Oh, Jesus is worthy of our devotion. He's worthy because his gospel gives us power to be saved. Do you believe? Do you believe the eyewitness accounts of Jesus Christ? Do you believe the testimony that scripture shares of Jesus Christ? If you do, you can be saved today. So will you today receive Jesus as your personal savior? Will you believe 
and receive the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is God created this world perfect. Everything was in harmony with God. God was in harmony with everything. Man was in harmony with creation and God and man. Creation was in harmony with man and God. But sin came in and it destroyed that fellowship and relationship. But God come to our rescue and he sent his only begotten son. And because he sent his only begotten son, his son lived a sinless life. He died a sinner's death. And on the third day, he arose victoriously from the grave. And now he's left us with the promise he's coming back. For those who would believe upon him as their Lord and Savior and confess him with their mouth. That's the gospel. That's the truth of the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. Would you today? Would you today want to just give your life to Jesus? The truth has been revealed. If you believe this, it's already been revealed to you. You know it to be true. So the question is, what's stopping you? Or if you're here and you, you want to be saved, I, I would encourage you, as every head's bowed, every eye's closed, to just pray with me. If you truly want Jesus as your Lord and Savior, just pray along with me. God, I am a sinner. And I need help. And I believe Jesus is your son, the savior of the world. He's my only help. I believe God. And I'm willing to confess him as my Lord and savior. Come into my heart. Wash me new. Thank you, God, for loving me. Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you for sending your Savior to me. Now, God, help me to live for you. Give me the boldness to share that I belong to you and you belong to me. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. That simple prayer, if you believe this with all your heart and you're willing to confess Jesus with your mouth, I believe you're saved. But as I said before, it's not enough for me to believe. It's not for me to believe for you. You've had to believe for yourself. And it's got to be enough for you. They begin to sing this song of invitation. Would you come and tell me that you've gotten saved? Or would you come and tell me that you, you want to be saved, but you need to know if there's more? I want to tell you it's just believing and confessing. And if you're ready to confess him to the world, come. Come let me know that you've received Jesus as your Savior.